fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Easy for me to say. Okay, here's what we've got. Um, I'm not going to read the Christian history today because I've got a couple things to read, and I don't want to get too long on that. Um, let's see here. We have first... Um, no, I don't need to worry about that. Uh, guy needed help in uh, Pakistan with his health, and I got a message this morning that he might not last, and so I just sent the money in, and so he's taken care of. But I got another one. This is from Remy in the Philippines. Today I visited a friend named Judith. She had worked in Saudi Arabia 13 years ago, but unfortunately her employer pushed her out of the window. She fell from the third floor, and I can tell you it's a long way down because that's I fell from the third floor of my house, which is the roof. So I wasn't on the third floor. I was on the roof of the second floor. So I was three, and it was a long, it took like hours to get down. It was a long drop. Anyway, uh, pushed her out of the window. She fell, disabled and unable to walk again. Despite her struggles, she gradually regained a sense of purpose after attempting suicide three times due to the difficulties she faced. Tragically, last year, her only son passed away at the age of 20 due to digestive problems and malnutrition, her final blow. I'm trying to reach out to her and give her purpose in Christ. She is praying for financial support as her family cannot afford it anymore. She needs catheter bags, bed sore ointment, and food. She needs $270, so if somebody wants to help with that, I can't. I just sent money to Pakistan this morning for the third time this month, and I, I just, I'm not gonna be able to do it. So if somebody can help with that, let me know. Um, let's see here, um, and then I have, uh, I'll read this probably again on Sunday, but um, Kenya is having just a terrible time. Uh, we pray, uh, oh, what did he say? Uh, uh, he's praising God through it, but we're requesting a breakthrough concerning water and food. They've not been able to get the well pump and all that in yet, and it's, it's expensive, so it's gonna take a while to get that down. But um, uh, they need to have water from the government council, municipal 2,000 liters to help us during this drought season with food stuff to help through uh, from Saturday. These things are really big challenges. Um, he didn't ask for any money, so I'm, I'm guessing he's asking for prayer, okay? Uh, Kenya, they're just having a real tough time. And, you know, some places in the world have a dry season where they just don't get any rain and it makes life difficult. And that's why they need that well and the, the stuff put in. And hopefully by next year they'll get that in because it's going to be another 8,000 or so. But uh, got that. And then the third one is just in case people have been helping Isaac with his house and you know, one thing at a time. They needed to put in the foundation. We got that done. They need to put in the walls. They got that done. They need to put on a roof. They got that done. All that's been paid for one at a time. And I said, Isaac, instead of piecemealing it in America, we want to know an entire bill because it's just better so we can mentally know how much. He, so he had the contractor tell him everything so that the place is completely finished. And he is at 12376 to finish everything. That's doors, that's windows, that's all the things that need to go into a house. So if you want to help whittle that down over the year, which we've been doing for the past two years, just let me know or just send it to him. He needs to get that down so he can actually live in the house that has a roof on it, but nothing else. Um, okay, so those are some of the uh, things. Uh, and then uh, Hedico. 
Hidako, um, uh, people were asking how she is, and she went into surgery yesterday. At 5 o'clock, she left with my son, and then she had the surgery, and she was out by 12.30, and then a couple hours sitting there, you know, they keep you under observation. And then she arrived at the house at 2.30 yesterday, and she uh, fell asleep at 3 o'clock, and she, she snored until six o'clock this morning. And then I had to take out the dog so that uh, she, she got up and uh, she ate a little bit of soup and then she uh, fell back to sleep for five hours and the hospital called and asked, how are you? And I said, don't, don't say anything, just give me a thumb, how are you? And she went like this, she went here and she went like there and she went like that. So she's no medicine, she hasn't taken one pain medicine at all. As a matter of fact, she said, do not pick up the pain medicine because it's opioids. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, well, I don't want them in the house anyway, but she didn't, she said, I'll just take Tylenol if I need it. And she hasn't taken anything. So, uh, and she's been slowly drinking. They kept saying to me, Thor and Faith, you know, they're nurses too. And they kept saying that she needs to keep hydrated. And all night long, I'm like, I, I, here, just drink a little water. And she'd take like an 18th of a sip. You know, I mean, th that bottle only this big is still like 90% full. So she's fine, but she's not keeping hydrated. So that's the only thing I would ask for prayer about is just to keep Hedico hydrated. All right, so that's the situation there. And uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are <clears throat> for your hand upon your people. And we certainly lift up that poor lady in the Philippines who's just... What a what a tough existence she's had, and we just pray that uh, she'll she'll see the love of Christ in Remy, because Remy is a faithful person that just loves to help other people. So, I just pray that uh, we'll be able to help her and uh, get her what she needs, and uh, uh, pray for the people in Kenya who are going through their dry season and the really difficult times that they face each year with the the drought season. And uh, Lord, uh, pray for the guy that's in Pakistan that. Uh, is having the, the terrible problem. We pray that he'll survive. He's your new believer in Christ and his wife is too. And we just pray that uh, uh, whatever the doctors can do to uh, take care of his situation, they get it done quickly and uh, effectively. And Lord, uh, pray for this class. We pray that your hand will be upon it and that you will just guide us. Oh, we pray for Rhoda too. Rhoda's not feeling so hot. So we lift her up to you as well, Lord. And uh, just uh, be with your people and uh, just help us to have a doctrine that is pleasing in your sight. And if there is something that is lacking or is incorrect, please open our eyes to that, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, good stuff. Um, all right, we are in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 1 and we're in verse 12. That said 14, oh. but oh, it, maybe that's from last week. Maybe yeah, 14. Okay, I didn't take the last page out where my little circle was, so... Um, I didn't put it in the file. I must have left that there. So question we, my record keeping. I mean, yeah, like I've ever messed that up. Never. Um, yeah, what, the 14th. So that was my fault. I got a circle there and I got a circle here. So we got two verses done last week. That was incredible. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we're really burning through one Timothy. Um, so I'll review those two and then start. With yeah, the go for it. Wherever today. makes you happy, that'll make me happy. Well, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I, act, I acted in 
ignorance and unbelief. 14. <clears throat> the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Close. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Doesn't say anything about poured out with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, when you started, you said well, and I looked and there's no well in there. Um, it reminded me of somebody that we do prayers with at the projects once in a while, and he'll he'll kind of be surprised when he's asked to pray, and he'll go, hello, God. <laughs> it made me think of that. Yo, God, he just, it, it, he gets a little off on it, and then it's fun to ask him to pray, right? Right out of the blue, because you're going to get him uh, good stuff. Okay, so uh, that's uh, 114. I've got to put these back in here, and let's see what we got here. 114. Paul has explained his from and to status. He went from a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. He went to one who was placed into the ministry because he was counted faithful. So, blasphemer, faithful in the ministry. There you go with Paul. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about Paul this week again. I, he comes to mind quite a bit because we're in Acts right now. And it just a tremendous, tremendous person as Luke records him. You know, I mean, his epistles, uh, you can say what you want about how he, uh, you know, speaks of himself there, but just going through how Luke presents him in the book of Acts, it's unbelievable. The guy is just, uh, uh, he was a workhorse for the Lord. And, uh, you know, somebody emailed me yesterday. This is, that's what got me thinking. I'm so tired because of poor Hedico and it's just debilitating, uh, you know, when somebody in your family is sick, it's just hard to, um, but somebody emailed me yesterday about uh, uh, Singer. How, uh, I, he's not a rabbi. I don't care what you're saying. I, I'm not going to use that term for the guy. But uh, uh, does anybody know who I'm talking about? He's, the, uh, he's a Jewish guy that he is just, he is like the Paul of today. He hates he hates Christianity, and he just, he's always coming out with videos. Uh, what's his, I'm trying to think of his name, Toad Singer or something. Anyway, anyway I, I don't remember, and I, normally I would remember on a, a, the spot because, but I'm just kind of not with it. Um, but he, uh, somebody sent me a video yesterday and asked me to evaluate the first eight minutes of it. And uh, he said, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but I'd like your opinion on this video. Okay, so um, he, this guy that emailed me said, you know, if you don't know him, he's the guy that did a, uh, uh, a video on Paul about, uh, was Paul gay, right? He's just, he's, oh. everything he says is just, he's a Trish. negative guy, right. but he does it very arrogantly. He's the kind of guy that looks in the camera and he he's just exudes arrogance. And um, anyway, uh, he, uh, come on, Charlie, wake up. Um, he... Uh, send it to me on that and he said uh, this guy says that if you are a Christian and you want to evangelize the Jews don't use the Bible he said use the Talmud okay and he said I'd like your opinion on that now can anybody tell me the problem with that it's not Talmud scripture not true, it's, it's, it's other Jews writing about the Bible That's, if you want to not here's a better question what do Messianic Jews use to proselytize Jews? The Bible. The Bible. The first five books they, it, the they go to Isaiah. They go what? They use the Bible. This guy does not want Jews evangelized, and he no, knows right. the Scripture is going, going to convert to people. Yes. That is where the light of God is. Yeah. The Talmud isn't going to convert anybody. All you're doing is you're supporting their belief that their codification of Jewish law and culture 
is acceptable by using the Talmud. And this sneaky guy knows that, but he doesn't know that, or he does know that most Christians just don't think. We're not a thinking group of people, okay? The superior word is different, okay? But most churches don't have a lot of deep, rational thinking, okay? They don't think clearly. They're, they're given life application sermons that do not build up the mind. And once again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with a life application sermon. Most of Christianity likes that. That's where they feel comfortable, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you are never going to progress in your understanding of Scripture, uh, your, especially your understanding of God, unless you are presented with the deeper things, the philosophical and apologetic items that are found all the way through Scripture. It's not going to happen. So if you go to church on Sunday morning and that's all you're listening to is life application, you'll leave there feeling good, but you're not going to leave there able to process. And I asked the question, at least four people answered it, okay? The problem with this guy, <clears throat> now he knows this and he knows that scripture will convert people. It doesn't matter that he doesn't believe. He is just like Paul was. He is not going to believe. And I doubt if he will ever believe unless we do one thing and that's pray for that guy. Okay, and so I told the guy, I said, you know, I, I wouldn't even bother talking to him about this issue. I wouldn't even bother. I'm not going to post on his YouTube video why he's wrong. I'm not going to do anything because all I'm going to do is implicitly support him by even arguing against him. Okay, he's getting little, uh, 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 you know, increases in his viewership. Every time you have more viewers, then they move you up higher in the rating and all that kind of stuff. I don't even like clicking on videos by people like that because all you're doing is you're just helping them along, okay? And I wouldn't sit and debate him because all he's going to do in his complete arrogance is get stronger against what he already hates. It's just gonna make him puffed up. But if you pray for the guy and you just, that's the one avenue that we have that uh, may prevail in his life somehow. Lord, if it means him getting in an accident and coming to uh, that point in his life where there is nothing left, that's what I would pray for. I don't care what it is. His soul is worth a lot more than his money or his physical body or anything else. Prayer is the only thing and it doesn't matter how you pray. You know, I heard a preacher say that one time. Are you willing to pray for your child to have the worst possible outcome in his physical existence for him to convert and be changed and come to Christ? And I thought about it and I said, yeah, I, I would do that. I would. You know, if my children are so far from the Lord that they will never turn back, whatever it takes, Lord. I don't care how bad it is. As long as they come to you, let it happen. Okay. And that's what we might need to pray for this guy. But the difference between him and Paul is zero except Jesus appeared to Paul to meet his purposes in giving us scripture. Paul was called out of darkness. And Paul even admits that in his own writings. I was a blasphemer. I was whatever we just read in this verse. And he says it elsewhere as well. He would, the last thing that Paul ever would have done would be listen to a sound, reasonable, apologetic argument from a Christian. Instead, he would have taken him, grabbed him, and thrown him in prison and felt more smug in his Jewishness. Okay, it took the Lord personally intervening in his life. And that's why I say I wouldn't even bother debating this guy. Yeah. Wouldn't do it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I know I've said this before, but when you watch these debates between the atheists and the Christians mm -hmm. about God, especially evolution, they do this all over in seminaries around the world every year, okay? And all they do is they score a little point here and all the Christians that agree with them go, and then the atheist stands up and he scores a little point over here and all the atheists go, 
and that you never have anybody converted through right. that ever. All you do is you affirm your differences. differences in your own selves. But that atheist is never going to change that Christian's mind. It's not going to happen unless he was already bent on that and he's just defending Christianity because it's something he knows how to do and he's a smart guy. Because I know people like that. They will defend Christianity not because they love Christ, but just simply because they know the Bible really well and they just want to you know, show how smart they are. So um, whether they're saved or not, I have no idea. But I know people like that. So uh, in this guy's case, he's no different than Paul. No different. And Paul is explaining that there. He said, uh, let me read it again. Where was I? Um, <clears throat> 114. Uh, he said um, he went uh, from being a persecutor, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. He went to one who was placed in the ministry because he was counted faithful. The Lord knew that when he was converted, he would be faithful. And so he placed him into the ministry. The Lord knew the makeup of Paul. He's going in the wrong direction. He's not going to change without me intervening, but when he changes, he is going to be the guy, okay? And that's what happened there. So as far as I'm concerned with that guy, you know, I just wouldn't even bother debating him. It is not worth the time, but you can pray that the Lord will open his eyes in his own special way. That's what I would ask for that guy. Uh, now he attempts to explain the incomprehensible nature of what came about in that transformation by saying, and... The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. The single Greek word translated as exceedingly abundant is found only here in Scripture. It gives this... What's that? Ephesians 3.20. Okay, what well, it may be that this text only has it this once because I ran into that in Acts yesterday. A, ver, a word that is only found there in the New King James Version and in that Greek text is found in elsewhere in the uh, the Bible you use, that corrupt Bible. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so that word is used only once in scripture with the text that I am using. We'll, we'll qualify it that way, okay? So it may be there in your text, but it may be just... Uh, it says exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or think. He, there you go. He's, he's able to do. There you go. And it may be the same word in the Greek from that text because there are differences. You know, you add in the like uh, prefix para or kata, okay? And you have the root word and this one may have it and this one, this text may have it and this text may not. So, but as far as the text I'm using, okay? Um, and it's funny you say that because it happened just yesterday and I spent a while researching it. I had to go and read the, uh, uh, the what do you call it? The, uh, the Greek from another text, which I can't get on the one that I'm using. I had to go and find it another place and I had to do my, my study. And, you know, I just want to be precise when I'm doing a commentary. And uh, uh, I may have even included that this is found elsewhere in another text. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But in this case, this is the only time this is used in this text that I'm referring to. So um, <clears throat> let's see here. The single Greek word translated as exceedingly abundant is found only here in Scripture in this text. Um, it gives a sense of superabundance, okay, like my strength, okay, yes. right? Uh, yeah, superabundance. Um, I got to tell you, it's funny I say that. I joke about that all the time, but I have so much less energy than I did last year. It's funny how I can tell from year to year. I, when I was 40, I was sitting in bed one day, <clears throat> actually sitting in bed for like two weeks, and every single day I kept saying, man, I must be tired. I just, I'm having such a tough time reading. And I said, I must have worked too hard again today. 
then after about two weeks, it took a while for the light bulb to come on. Your eyes are failing. I said, my eyes are bad. And I went and I got a, a pair of one glasses that were just sitting there that I'd never used. I put them on and I'm like, I can see. And so it's funny, you, you, you realize, but man, every year I go up and I cut these palm trees. I cut one, two, uh, two or three this morning. I, I, I can't remember, it doesn't matter. So I'm at the mall, I'm taking care of these palm trees. And I did something I've never done before. On the last palm tree, I left the pile there and I'll go get it tomorrow and move it. I always, you know, I keep everything clean after I cut. I was just like, and maybe it's because I wanted to go see Hedico, but I don't think that's what it was. I think I was just tired, okay? And, yes? That's the King James. I looked here and, and they got it worded differently. There you go, there you go. So it's, it's different text, different source text, and okay, so uh, it, differently worded. So well, it, I learned, learned it in the King James, exceedingly abundantly. Okay. It says more abundantly. More abundantly. Okay, there you go. So there's something different going on there. And I can check that, but I won't. You know, whatever. But um, uh, as long as we have an answer to why it would be different, that's good enough. But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, what was I saying here? Super abundance. Oh, I made a joke about being super abundant. Yes. Yeah, I, I just don't have it anymore. So, uh, whatever. Uh, in other words, Paul is stating that the grace upon him could not be properly explained. He, he, he just had no words to explain how good God was to him. And I was talking to somebody right here uh, less than 25 minutes ago that said exactly the same thing to me. You know, I, I happened to baptize this person at Turtle Beach uh, several years ago. And he, he uh, the way he described it was like I'm a rag and all this bad stuff is being squeezed out of me. You know, and I told you when I came to the Lord, I just couldn't believe the difference. I, I never saw the sky so blue and I never saw the trees so green. I just didn't look. I had no reason to look. I'm out working and I'm doing my life and I'm not paying attention to what God has given us. And I remember the day that I really met Christ. You know, I may have met him when I was 14, but there was no discipleship or anything. But when I really met him here, I just, everything changed in my life. And I, even to this day, I go outside and I say, you're, you're, it's so beautiful, Lord. You know, you, your life changes. And uh, so anyway, Paul, he had no way of describing exactly what this conversion was like for him. Just none. And uh, so there you go. He just uses a word that is so far above and it still isn't enough. Um, only a de descriptive word which asks the mind to reach off into infinity could be used in an attempt to describe it. And that reminds me of the uh, uh, song, uh, The Love of God. I don't know if you know the lyrics to it. It's probably in the hymnal here, but uh, you know, if uh, all the sky was a parchment and every uh, person was uh, a, a scribe by trade, that's right, and the sea was the ink, and everybody wrote of the love of God forever. It would totally fill the sky. I know I completely abused that. I used to know the words by heart. But anyway, that's the idea. The, 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 the parchment couldn't hold the words that described the love of God with all of the ink in the sea and all of the people being scribes by trade. Couldn't do it. So um, Paul just uses an infinite and he says, this is, this is what was bestowed upon me. And I would hope that everybody here feels the same way. When you think of what God did for you, when you didn't deserve it, because if you think about it, you, Paul using an infinite is exactly what happened in your life. God is infinite. 
There's no limit to him. There's no place where he is not at any time. He is everywhere at all times, okay? So, uh, you know, you're thinking about that. You're thinking that uh, uh, he is behind the farthest star that we could see with the, the uh, telescope, okay? He's there. He's everywhere right now, always. And your one sin or your life full of sin infinitely separates you from his holiness forever, okay? People talk about, you know, all the reasons why, you know, these people deserve to go to heaven or why, you know, you hear it at every funeral. I know he's in a better place now. Without Jesus, there is no better place for that person. I'm sorry. One sin of Adam separated every single human being that ever existed infinitely from God because he's everywhere and he can't fellowship with you. And that's why there will be a hell is because they're going to be cast completely from his presence forever. Whatever that means in its ultimate sense, we deserve that. And yet he was willing to send Jesus to cover that so that wherever we are, if we can travel the entire universe forever and ever searching around, we will always be covered by Christ. He is everywhere. Wherever we go, we can't get away from the presence of God, nor would we want to, but we will be covered by the goodness of God in Christ so that we are forever, forever, for. You know, you talk about eternal salvation. There it is. People that say that you can lose your salvation don't understand anything about several key points. Grace, they don't get the word grace, okay? They also don't understand what it means to be in Christ. They've never comprehended what that means. They read the words and they don't think about what the words mean, okay? And they also don't understand what it means when God says, I give this guarantee, this seal of my ownership over that person. They don't understand those key points of doctrine because they don't understand the greater philosophical and apologetic arguments that exist concerning the nature of God and concerning your relationship to him, okay? I, it just, it's very sad that people feel that way, but uh, that's, you know, and I'm not belittling them. I'm just saying it's a truth. They do not understand the holiness of God and their relationship to him. They're already separated from him without Christ. And when Christ says, this one is mine, it is done. Okay. This, and the spirit agrees with that when he seals you with this spirit. It says right there in Ephesians 1.13, whether you felt that change when you were converted or not, it happened. It says, when you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as a deposit, a guarantee. And once again, the deposit is something that has to be paid. God is the one that agreed to it. It has to be paid. All right. So um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, infinite, infinity. And then along with that, he adds with faith and love, which are in Christ. There it is, in Christ Jesus. Once again, there are the two principal tenets which came to exemplify the life and apostleship of Paul. They are set in contrast to his former life. This was me, this is me now. And it wasn't because he did anything worthy of it. Nothing, okay? You know, I, I just was thinking about somebody who has a son that's in one of these, you gotta work your way to heaven, Hebrew roots churches. And I just, this is just when I was in back cleaning earlier and I was mourning over it. I was literally mourning over it in my heart that, you know, they, what did Christ come to do? I mean, just think it through. He, he is totally pleased with the performance of his son. 100% pleased with it. And he says, it is finished. 
And these people just throw themselves right back under what he finished, and they are condemning themselves. They're separating themselves willfully from God, who did what he did for them. I just, and you know, they think they've been misinstructed by somebody, and they believe it, and it's just, that's why I say you have to know the word. If you don't know the word, and if you're not willing to put every bias and every presupposition aside and say, I am going to read this for what it says, you will be stuck when somebody comes and tells you, you got to do this or you got to do that. And if they're you, saved, though, they're saved. Well, that's right. If they're saved, they're saved. And I, that's not my my thing. I can't judge that one way or another. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, people uh, that are uh, never understanding the grace of God and have believed a different gospel say they're saved. Okay? That's their choice. They can believe whatever they want to believe. And there are people that are in those churches that were saved when they were little children they were misinstructed later in life, and now they're living these miserable lives of working their way to something they obtained when they were 12 years old, and they don't even realize it. And the people that are there in the church with him will be totally surprised when he is taken and they are not, okay? Because by faith, God sealed him as a little child, and he will not break that covenant, okay? This is a covenant that is made in the blood of his own son, all right? Um, you know, I watched a great video. Graham over in Scotland sent me a video today. It was Uh, like 12 minutes long, but on double speed, it only takes six minutes, and I had that, so I watched it, and, um, you know, it said the four major principles, or the four miracles that happened when Christ was crucified, and they really blew one of them, because they said, you know, uh, one of the, the miracles was the darkening of the sky, which it did, and they gave a kind of good analysis on, you know, what the darkness means, and other times in the Bible when it occurs, and so they made some good parallels. But one of the things that they blew on that, which everybody does, what is it? Tearing the curtain. No, 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 the darkness. What caused the darkness? God. Okay, how did he do it? What does everybody say about it? An eclipse. Oh, okay. Is what they say. They say, why is that not right? Does anybody know why that's not right? That's only in one area. Well, no, it'd be fine. I mean, if they're just focused on Jerusalem, that'd be okay. What's the matter with the eclipse? This is important. Well, eclipse normally happens at a certain time. Eclipses happen at a certain time, and the full moon was at the time of the Passover, the 14th of the month, into the 15th. It is impossible for there to be a solar eclipse in the daytime because the moon is out at night. Everybody see that? Anytime you see an analysis or a video or anything about the star of Bethlehem and it is an eclipse and this star lined up with this planet, you're wrong. Okay? It was not an eclipse. That was, as she said, from God. It was a supernatural event. And I wouldn't be surprised if the entire world was dark. There are people that claim that there are writings in China and there are writings in Turkey and all these places. I don't know. I've never seen those writings. They claim it, and a lot of people make claims that are not true. Unless I know that I can validate that, I'm not going to tell people that happened. But there are writings that do say that, okay? Or there are people that claim there are writings that do say that. But it was not an eclipse. So always when you see that, make sure that you write on the side of that video on your uh uh, TV in case it comes back on this is not correct okay make a little note on there um, uh, and if you read a book and it says it was an eclipse it was not an eclipse it is impossible for it to have been an eclipse and that is purposeful by God mm-hmm. that was purposeful okay so having said that um, uh, where was I they are set in contrast to his former life he was a blasphemer he's now a man of 
faith. He was a persecutor and an insolent man, and now his life was marked with love. If you don't believe that, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Thank you. The transformation was as complete as that of going from utter darkness to brilliant light, because that is exactly what happens with us. We go from darkness to light. All right. Um, somebody sent me uh, some interesting comments on the Trinity and other things uh, over the past day, and there were just questions and is this correct and stuff. And one of the questions was, uh, or comments was about darkness. There's darkness on the uh, first day of creation or whatever. The darkness he called, I think it was first day, might be second day. Yeah, it was first day. Anyway, um, there's darkness. And then in the New Jerusalem, it says there is no need for the sun because there is no night, right? So, uh, and the uh, thing that was being equated was that the darkness therefore represents sin. Anybody? Couldn't be. No, why can't it be? Because there was no man to sin. Well, uh, that's true, but uh, it, we'll just suppose that it was prepared for man. Okay. okay, because, you know, man wasn't there until the sixth day. There was okay. no law. Okay, there was no, there was no law. Uh, but there's something more poignant than that. What happened at the end of every day? It was good. So it couldn't have been that it was picturing sin. But it could be that it's picturing a separation from God. You've got darkness and you've got light. Okay, and he's making a point about the state of the world without God. And so when Adam fell, we have darkness in the world and whatever. You, you could make that argument, and I haven't thought it through all the way, but I would not say that the darkness equates to sin. All right. And then there is in the uh, Garden, of, uh, Garden of Eden, we'll say, yes, is the uh, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in the New Jerusalem, there is only the tree of life. Well, why do we not need the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because we already we possess it, right? There's no need for that. We became like God in that sense, okay? We didn't become gods, but uh, the man is like no, has become like, like us, us to know good and evil. So we gained something at the fall, all right? Something that we did not possess before. And he said it himself, I didn't. The Lord said it, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. So we gained something at the fall. That was purposeful because without an understanding of good and evil, we can't, we, can't choose. we can't choose the good. We can't have the understanding of what God has done for us. There would always be a void. There was, you know, you can debate whether man could have fell or not, but the fact is he did and God knew he would. And there was a purpose behind everything that God did. We had to fall, I'm talking about in the mind of God, for us to appreciate the goodness of God in Christ. Everybody see that? That comes with the knowledge of good and evil, which we would not have possessed, and so we could have never known the true goodness of God unless we fell. All right, so you look at these things that are going on in Scripture and how one thing is replaced with another or something is restored that uh, was lost, and you can see the wonderful dynamic of what's going on all centered on Jesus going to the cross. It's unbelievable to see that. So um, let's see here. Where are we here? Uh, uh, life application. How did coming to Christ change you? All right. Anybody here? How did it change them? All right. Do you simply go from being a regular person, stepping from unbelief in his work to a belief in it? Is that the only change that happened in you? Okay. I believe. Calling on him is Lord. If so, you are saved by that belief and the call that you made. Or did you go from being a really wicked person to a person who was completely transformed? Or did that happen over time? Because some people change immediately and they never go back. Look at Jose. 
That guy had a change and he is still, I mean, 15 hours a day. He's out every single day of the year doing something. He's just, he went from one guy to another immediately. He went from a drug addict to a person that is trying to change drug addicts. Okay. Some people don't have that or some people start slowly and all of a sudden it catches on and they become a great preacher or something. Everybody is different in how they came to Christ. All right. Did you go from being that really wicked person to one who was completely transformed? If so, you are saved as well, but you probably have a burning desire to serve the Lord. Okay. You may have been converted and had no desire. And after 10 years, all of a sudden you say, I, I got to go do something. We're all on a different plane. I'm not saying one is worse than the other. We all start differently. Okay. But what we should do is end well. We should all end well. We should say, okay, I need to start putting a priority in my life. I'm going to start, and I hate to use this because it makes it look like I'm asking people to come to church, but I'm going to start going to church and attending, okay? I, I'm not asking that. I'm just saying that that should be something that you want to do. I want to learn the Word, all right? You should be a person that says, you know, I, 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 I want to read this Word. I want to know Jesus, and I understand that tells me about Jesus. So uh, these are things that should be happening in our lives. If they don't, maybe it'll come later. Maybe you've got other distractions. Um, I was finally met the, the wife of the place next door, the sushi place. They've been there for three since COVID, right? When COVID started. Right. And um, uh, I, she was outside. And so I, I was, uh, what prompted me? I was doing something. And anyway, oh, I just asked her. I, she didn't know who I was. I just said, how's business? And she told me. And uh, she's, uh, we talked for a couple minutes. And finally I said, I'm Charlie from the church next door. And I, I thanked her for the day they put the sign out to tell me that the water line was broken out back. And she said, we tried calling you. We had to look for a number on the door and we couldn't find anything. We were like worried about it. And uh, I said, no, 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 I appreciate it. We got it first thing Sunday morning. And, and uh, anyway, um, I, we were talking and I said, I lived in Malaysia and I was in the Chinese area. I was in Pataling Jaya, which is Chinese district. And uh, I said, those Chinese, you, or I said, you Chinese are the hardest working people on the planet, okay? And I explained about the Japanese because for a long time in America, back in the 80s, remember the Japanese are the hardest working people in the world? And they were like buying up all of America. And I said, that's actually a myth. I lived in Japan six years, I know, it's a myth. They're very hard working people, just like Americans. But what they do is a little different than uh, other cultures. The Japanese uh, spend their time with their boss. When he wants to go out, they go out with him. That's it. Their life is devoted to their boss more than their family. Okay, and so uh, when uh, uh, we'll just call it Christmas, but one of their celebrations comes. Just use Christmas as an example. The boss does not give them presents; they give the boss presents. Everything is devoted towards their boss. Okay, and um, uh, so if the boss says, "I'm going out and we're going to drink tonight." and they do that for five hours, which happens to some of them every night. Every night of the year, after work, they go out to the boss and they sit in the bar and they drink, okay? That's all counted as work. So they're not really working 15 hours a day. They're working a regular eight hour day like Americans and then they're spending another five or six hours. Sloshed. Yeah, getting sloshed or whatever he wants to do. That is their priority until he is done with it and then they go home. And so I said, I made the compliment about the Chinese because I know how hard they work. I lived with them for three years. They are totally, totally devoted to working. It is unbelievable. All right. And she they're very argue? productive. What? Did she argue? 
No, no. But she said, she said, this point I'm getting to, she said something so wonderful. She says, I agree, working is hard is so good. And uh, she says, it's wonderful. She says, but I have children and they are my priority. And I said, yes. And think about what we're talking about right here in the Bible. What is your priority? It's great to do one thing, but it's greater to do something else. I said to her, I said, just about 15 minutes ago, my children were this big. And she said, what? I said, now they're 37 years old. I said, I, I can't hug them anymore. I mean, pick them up and hug them the way I used to. I don't, I, it's the one thing I woke up when I was, uh, they were probably 10 or 12. I woke up one night and I thought, I don't remember the last time that I picked up my children. And that, that bothered me. It was because when they're young, those arms come out and it's, and they just want so badly for you to pick them up. And there's a day where that will never happen again in your life. And so she has her priorities right, okay? The husband can stay and work as hard as he wants and she's gonna take care of those children. Good job, lady, okay? Right here, thinking our relationship with the Lord. What is the priority, okay? All right, um, the fact is that all those who felt, uh, yes, those who felt they were just regular folks and those who felt they were the worst people of all were in exactly the same boat when they met the Lord. I'm just a regular guy and I met Jesus. I was the worst person ever to live and I met Jesus. They were in the same boat. One sin. It doesn't matter if that was a prostitute or if she was the nicest girl on the planet. That one sin of Adam infinitely separates both of them from God forever. They were in the same boat. Okay. In both, there was an infinite separation from God. And in both, there was a complete reuniting to him. Complete. There's nothing lacking in the reuniting of that person with the Lord. Now, there may be a difference in their perception of it. There may be a difference in their productivity afterwards or how they perceive the world, but it was exactly the same boat for both of them. Okay. I was, maybe it's, I got it coming up at a prophecy update. I don't know if I included it or not, but uh, that lady, somebody was giving a comment on people that met the Lord. And I talked about her in one update, maybe six months ago, as there was this lady that was a witch. You know, she was one of these people that was just, you know, and there she is getting baptized at a church and she's devoted her life to the Lord. That's a big change, yeah. but it was no different than the little kid that comes into the church and says, I want to, I want to be with Jesus. They're just as separated. Okay. She just has a lot more sin in the separation, but they're in the same boat. Okay. God is infinite. We are finite and we need to understand that. Okay. That's why these comparisons that we make in life sometimes are not healthy. All right. Everybody needs Jesus. Um, so let us all come to the realization of this and let us all be willing, all of us, let us all be willing to expend ourselves in this life for the furtherance of the gospel. And in this, let us be people of faith and love, which is found in Christ Jesus. And that's hard. I know it is. It's hard to say, I'm going to pray for Nancy Pelosi today. That's a tough thing to swallow. But you know what? If she comes to mind, say, Lord, you know my heart. I'm lifting her up to you right now and then move on. Okay, whatever. Whatever your situation with a particular person is, I picked Nancy because I just am not a fan of Nancy Pelosi, but you might have somebody you're not a fan of, and it's hard to pray for that person. But they were in the same boat you were, and you were in the same boat with them, okay? So 
There you go. Fifteen. Uh, yeah, that, that like I said, that's the only thing. I'm not going to try to debate that guy because it's not going to be productive. People can say, yeah, well, you, you're just... No, I have seen it enough over the past years to know that I all I'm going to do is affirm his hatred of God. I'm not going to do anything to change his mind. My prayers are going to be a lot more effective than anything I try to debate with that guy or post in his comments. He's going to read that and he's going to say, hey, what a schmuck. And then, you know, that'd be the last he ever comes to that. All right. He is, he knows the Bible exceedingly well. Okay. He twists the Bible exceedingly greatly. I can tell you that when he says something to the Jews about, you know, uh, he will take one thing and completely misuse it purposefully. Now, don't get me wrong. He will purposely misuse or misstate what the Bible is saying about a particular issue. I know because uh, somebody that uh, most of us here know asked me, somebody that listens to this guy, and he's always talked to him. He's been friends with him. He's a Jewish guy. And he asked me, would you be willing to tell him where this guy is wrong? Uh, And I said, sure. So I took one video, and after about 10 minutes, I was almost nauseous at all the twistings of scripture. But I typed it up and I sent it to him and then he sent it to his friend. And if he listens, he listens. And if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. But uh, I, I gave him all of the links. You know, he said this, that's not true. I sent him the, the Greek link. He said this, that's not true. I sent him the Hebrew link. I sent everything. I said, I'm not going to give you my opinion like he does. And I'm not going to lie like he does. I'm going to give you exactly a refutation of what he said. And I'm going to give you the link to prove it. It's you who needs to study whether you want to accept that or not. But even if he doesn't want to believe in Jesus, I wouldn't listen to that guy ever again after what I gave him. I mean, I only did the first five minutes of a 30-minute video, and I said, it took me like two hours or an hour. And I said, it's enough. I don't need to go further. So anyway, um, but the guy does know scripture, and he knows how to twist it. So be careful with that. Keep the guy in prayer. Okay, 15. name here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Okay, this one says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Okay, that's exactly the opposite, if you think about it, chief and worst, but if you... Sarcasm and... (laughs) Yeah, but if you make the comparison, then there you go. And chief, I heard somebody say chief a second ago. Uh, Yeah, Um, okay, Uh, the reason why I made say that's funny is because when we're in the projects, I call all the little kids chief. Hey, chief. And so that name has kind of been returned on me. I've become like, hey, chief. So, um, whatever. Uh, So I heard somebody over in the... the, uh, Amen corner yelling out, Amen, Chief, or something like that. Okay, uh, the words Paul opens with here are found only in the pastoral epistles. This is a faithful saying, and he says it again and again, okay? This is something that literally the Greek states, faithful is the word, okay? He will use the same formula five times in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So he says it five times. He doesn't say it in any of his other epistles. There is also a similar saying used by Jesus in Revelation 21.5 and 22.6. We'll just go to 22.6 because it's the last page of the Bible. And uh, we'll see here. Um, 
And I say last page of the Bible, I've been chastised for saying that because sometimes it's not actually the last page. But if you take one chapter and call it a page, it's the last page. Okay, see now this one, it is not the last page of the Bible because if you'll notice, 22.6 is on this side and it's not on this side. So if you're being literal, don't say the last page of the Bible. But if you're being me, it's the last page of the Bible. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So kind of similar, but faithful is the word, according to Paul. <clears throat> it is a way of emphasizing what is connected to it. And it is rather similar to that which is found in the Old Testament and in the saying of the Gospels, where a word is repeated for emphasis. You see it all the way through the Old Testament. Jacob, Jacob, right? And they repeat a name or they repeat something. Uh, or what they will do is they'll use like an infinitive form of a verb and they'll say, um, dying you will die. So they take a verb and then they uh, change the form of it and that becomes an emphatic. And that the Old Testament is absolutely filled with those. Okay, you'll see it again and again and again. If you listen to the sermons on Sunday, you will see that. I'll read it to you so that you can hear it. And uh, it's a way of giving emphasis, repeating something, repeating the name, you know. And Jesus does it all the way through the book of John. Martha, I mean, Martha. Uh, yeah, Martha, Martha, okay, or amen. verily, verily, depending on the translation, amen. It's literally amen, amen. He's saying truth, truth, or whatever. So be it, so be it. But um, it, it's all the way, in, you know, the translators just translate how they want, but uh, it's just a way of saying something with emphasis, okay? Martha, Martha, you, yeah, something many, uh, uh, you're worried about many things, but she has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken from her. So there you go. Um, anyway, oh yeah, I got it right here. There it is. Uh, uh, it's similar to that found in the Old Testament and in the sayings of the Gospels where word is repeated. For example, Jesus says right here, verily, verily, or literally, amen, amen, many times in the Gospels. In the same manner, Paul is making a statement of profound emphasis, okay? And then, you know, in the Greek, if it's written in the Greek, you know, you can tell when Paul is saying something in the Hebrew or thinking it in the Hebrew, at least, and it's put down because of something like that. But there are times where it may not be something he was saying in the Hebrew, but you know it because they have what's called the emphatic position. For They take this word and they put it here instead of here. You know that they're being emphatic about it. And so the Greek will do that as well by the way that they uh, structure the words. And we'll see, you know, you see that on Sundays a lot. You know, this is a an emphatic. Uh, a good example in the Hebrew is, um, and I explained this during a sermon recently, you've got a verb and a verb will carry with it whether it is, you know, a masculine or feminine, it'll carry with it uh, a second person, you know, or a third person. It's included in the verb, so that's understood. If they want to make it emphatic, then they will say something like, um, uh, we'll say the word going, okay? Depending on how it's structured, it would mean I am going. Even though it doesn't say I, the way the verb is formed, it means I am going. But if they want to make it emphatic, then they would say, I am going with that verb, but without saying I, just going, but inferring I. And then they would say again, I, anohi, I, I am going. And that becomes an emphatic, okay? That's the kind of thing that you'll see. And it's what makes the Bible, when you're reading it in the Hebrew or Greek, it makes it come alive in your mind. And so that's why I try to give you a sense of that, especially on Sunday morning, so you can get the idea of what is being conveyed there. Now, when you understand that, then you kind of, I don't know if it does it to you, but it gets me excited. 
I just get excited about how the Hebrew is expressing something in a way that we may not have in the translation. The, the translation just doesn't give it to you. And that's why you'll hear a pastor say, well, this is emphatic. You know, he may not explain how or why because he might not know the Greek, but somebody has put down a commentary that says there is an emphatic uh, structure here. And then he can tell you that. All right. Uh, it, and that's that to me is what makes it all so exciting is getting into understanding what the person is actually thinking in his head, not just what you're reading and inserting in your own thoughts, but pulling out what is going on in David's mind when he was sitting there? Or what is the Lord saying through Moses in the Psalm of Moses? <laughs> so beautiful. It was just, it, you know, typing, especially that Hebrew poetry, I, it, my hair is standing up while I'm typing it at the beauty that is coming out of the words. It's almost like I, I, I didn't know. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know how beautiful this actually is. It's so wonderful. And you know, I try to make it where you will see that. And if you don't, I apologize. It's just hard for, it's hard to convey the majesty of what's being coming out of the words. Anyway, something came to mind right now and I have to remember this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt the commentary, but I didn't thank everybody for all of the comments and all of the emails and all of the things that people have done for Hedico. I, it means so much to me. Somebody did something. I got home yesterday. Some, I, you know, Hedico's trying to lay down and fall asleep, and somebody banged on the door, and I thought, oh, you know, I walk out there, and somebody had delivered something for Hedico right then. It was unbelievable. The timing could not have been. It actually broke. I broke down in tears over it. I, you know, I've been going through all this stress since I knew this in November, and I didn't want anybody to know until we knew. And uh, I, I just, I. I People are just, they've been so good. And I thank all of you for that. So forgive me for not saying that. Um, you sent an email. Well, I know, but still, I, 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 I need to personally thank people. And it's hard, you know, I don't want to forget people. I don't want to put one person over another. This person has done a lot, but that person didn't have a lot of money to do a lot. Or You know what I mean? It's hard to, to, to say something without blowing it and hurting somebody's feelings. I don't want to do that. So just thank everybody, just everybody for all the love that they have shown towards Hedico. Just, ah, it means so much. Okay, so back to the commentary. Um, uh, in it, this is the profound emphasis. In it, he then adds the word, and worthy of all acceptance. This is a faithful saying, or faithful is the word, and worthy of all acceptance. This is only used here, and then again in 1 Timothy 4, 9. It is a phrase that indicates the exclusion of all doubt. There is to be absolutely no doubt in what he says. This is a faithful saying, and it is worthy of all acceptance. And that's kind of its own emphasis, too. You're taking one word that has this meaning. You're taking another one that builds upon it. And, you know, you'll see that in the Psalms where things will build one thing upon another, and then it steps back, and then it builds up again. Uh, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. It is to be accepted at face value. It's worthy of all acceptance, and it's to be accepted at face value. When he says it, he means it, okay? Understanding the emphatic and absolutely sure nature of what will be said, he then states what is on his mind. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Christ came. He came, you know, Jesus, I said this two or three weeks ago in a different context, but Jesus claimed a lot of reasons why he came. You go through the Gospels and he gave a lot. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I have come this and I have come that. But there are a couple key things that he did. All right. And I told you the key one. What was it? Anybody remember? 
It's said by John in the book of 1 John 3, verse 18, to destroy the works of the devil. That is the prime reason. There is no more prime reason because you can't have life and have it abundantly unless you have the works of the devil destroyed first. Everybody see that? That is the prime thing. He allowed the devil to do that because he knew that we needed to have that knowledge of good and evil. He knew that we would need to have that relationship that otherwise Adam never could have understood. Okay, But it was the devil who did it. And God allowed that to happen. As tragic as it is in this world and all the death and destruction and mayhem, there is a good purpose. Okay, There is a good purpose if we are willing to accept it. And that's our choice. You know, people say, you know, they talk about Calvinism and, you know, it's monergism and God regenerates you and you believe. That is nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. God wants you to willingly and voluntarily come to him. And he's not going to force you to do it. He did not force Paul. Now, Paul was converted, but what did Paul say? And you know exactly what he said. I was not disobedient to the... He could have been. He admitted it right in his own words. I was called and I was not disobedient to the calling. He could have said, you know what? I understand that, but I don't like you and I don't like the message that you're showing me. He could have done that. There are people that do it all the time. Joseph Stalin, when he died, he knew there was a God. And what was the last thing he did on his bed? He shook his hands at God, right? We have a choice in this life. All right. Now, that's what I was told, and uh, it may not be a true story, but that's what I believe his daughter said he did. Okay, and if I'm getting my story right, okay, yeah, I am. I know that's the correct guy. Joseph Stalin, and he came up from his bed, and he shook his hands at God. You know, defiance to the end. Well, Paul could have done that, but he didn't. All right, so um, where was I now? Oh, yeah, I'm in page. Okay, Um, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Okay, the destroy the works of the devil, and in the process, he can save sinners. But the devil has to be taken care of first. First and foremost, you have to have that taken care of. And in the taking care of that, he can then save you, all right? And then after that, you can have life, and you can have it more abundantly. But each thing comes in a step. There's a progress or a process that is going on, okay? He came into the world to save sinners. Thank God for Jesus who did that. Here we have an implicit reference to the eternal nature of Christ. Okay, he wasn't a created being. He's the eternal God. For him to come into the world indicates that he was there before the world existed. Okay, and in the first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? If he came into the world to save sinners, that means he was there before the world existed. The pre-existence of Christ. He's not a created being. He's not a being that created all other things. He is the Lord God Almighty, okay? He took on human flesh. There's a difference, okay? For him to come into the world, okay, yeah, he was in the position of glory in the eternal state, but he stepped out of that in order to join with us in the stream of time. Where is that explicitly stated? I know you know. Come on, Burke. He gave up his glory. Uh, it might be. Well, 521 is um, uh, uh, he's not imputing sins to us. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the canonic hymn. 
Philippians chapter 2. They'll go there because it's so beautiful. We just have to read it once in a while. Okay? The canonic hymn means the kenosis. All right? So it says, Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... I'm just setting you up for this. It starts in verse 5. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. He's, he's getting ready to tell you about the one who did all of this way better than we did. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now think of what he just said when you read this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Think of it. This is God doing this for you and me. This is, this is what he did. It's just, it, it, you think about what he did and it, you can't even grasp it. It's so immense, it's so wonderful what he did. So, um, he came into the world to save sinners. He is eternal, he is God, and yet he united with human flesh, okay? He was in the glory in the eternal state, but stepped out of that state. He put it aside in order to take on human flesh. The glory was there, but it was concealed. All right, it was hidden from our eyes so that we could be saved by God. All right, this what? body was prepared for him. In That's right. body was prepared, absolutely right. From the very beginning, the people were chosen all the way through human history, the perfect person to come into the world with all of the genealogy, with all of the baggage of all of those people that are recorded in Scripture. He took it all and he united with it. I mean, Rahab the harlot, there she is. There's Bathsheba, you know, slept with King David when she was married to another person. All of that stuff going on, the body was prepared. God knew exactly the person that he would be that when he united with humanity in Mary's womb. He knew every single thing about him and how it would perfectly fulfill all of that that was recorded in Scripture. Okay, this is certainly on Paul's mind talking about the eternal nature of Christ, that God himself was willing to enter into this existence and become a part of it. Once again, Philippians chapter 2. All right? And save those who are otherwise set to perish. You and me. All right? Born sinners, living sinners, set to perish. John 3, 18. If you don't believe it, go read it. The idea ties naturally back to the words, worthy of all acceptance. In order for sinners to be saved, they need a savior. Further, being, in, being saved implies from something, okay? People always say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's a result of your salvation. The salvation was to save you from something. And most people never think about that. They're never presented with that proposition. And when they are, they suddenly think, oh. And that's when quite often there's a big change in a person's life is when they realize it's not just that God wanted me in heaven, like I'm, I'm deserving of it. You know, I gotta have this guy up here with me. That's not at all what this is about. This is saving you from something. The four is the resulting benefit, okay? If he saved you from something, 
you should probably be about the business that he saved you from telling other people and living the life that he would ask you to live. And if you don't, that's fine. He's not going to unsave you, but you're the one that's going to have to stand in front of him and be evaluated for the life you lived. Okay. It worries me every day. I think, what more can I do? You know, I, I, there's so much more I could be doing and so much less I could be doing to be pleasing to God. All right. Okay, they need to be saved from something. If there was no harm coming to sinners, then there would be no need to be saved, right? We talk about, oh, are you saved? There was harm, and that person is living in real harm if he is not saved, okay? You're out in the ocean, and you're, okay, you guys drive safely. You take care of yourself. Are you talking better now? You okay? All right. She had operation today, so she's a little no. numb from the Novocaine. Um, drive safely, get home before dark, and we love you guys. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, yeah, where was I? From something. Okay. Uh, further, uh, as this is, Paul said, worthy of all, all acceptance, then it must apply to all sinners. If not, then it would not be an absolute statement. But because it is, Christ is fully capable of saving all sinners. Just like that rabbi, or I hate to use the term rabbi because it's just like an abuse of, of the title. All right, he's just a guy that thinks that he knows more than everybody else, and it, that guy needs to be saved. I don't know what he thinks about himself. I don't know how he thinks that he's going to be right before an infinitely holy God, but it's not going to be because of him. That is absolutely certain. All right, people need to process that and say it's not about me at all. It's, it's just not. If it was about Charlie Garrett, it never would have happened, okay? And as all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3, 23, then Christ came to potentially save all. And there's the difference. We talk about it all the time. What is potential and what is actual, okay? Jesus came to save all people. He does not actually save all people. Not all people are going to be saved, okay? But he potentially came to save everybody, and that's why Peter says what he says. The Lord is long-suffering because he's not willing that any be any perish, but all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Okay? That's Charlie Garrett's paraphrase of that, but that's what he says. Okay? Uh, God in Christ has potentially saved every person on this planet. But at the end of the day, there will be, I don't know how many people die every day on the planet. You could look it up on the internet. It's probably, we'll say, uh, yeah, 152,327 average. Okay? Those that came to Christ will be saved. Those that do not will not be saved. They were little babies once. They had all the potential of a human being to do good and bad. And they got to a certain point in their life, whether it was, you know, I was thinking what a tragedy, that girl that, uh, Missouri, I think it is, you know, little 11-year-old girl, and they found her body yesterday uh, in the river. And they got the guy that, you know, and just think. That was the end of her chance. Whether she was saved or not, that is the end of her chance to be reconciled to God. And I have no idea if she was saved. I have no idea. All I know is that that person's life ended at 11. Some people get 92 years and they never come to Christ. You know, we got choices to make because we don't know when our day is going to be. So it just breaks my heart doing two, you know. two four in Timothy here. Two four. Two four. Go ahead and read it because. <laughs> He desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's it. He 
He desires it. It doesn't mean if he if he forced salvation on us the way that Calvinism claims, that could not be written. Two, uh, two Peter, one Peter, whatever, could not be written. They could not make those statements without being liars, okay? The fact is that we have a choice to make. Christ did the work, and now we have our part in that. There's no work involved, but there is the uh, what Paul calls the work of faith, okay? We must believe. We must say, I'm going, that guy, listen, that guy that is working, the one that I keep referring to here, he believes that Jesus was a human being. He actually believes that. Okay, there's a difference between him and you. You believe that Jesus wasn't just a human being, but he died for your sins and he rose again. That guy doesn't. Okay, believing in Jesus doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in what Jesus did. It's a whole body of you know um, things that are going on. All right, there are lots of people that believe in Jesus that do not believe in Jesus in the ultimate sense that is necessary. Um, all fall short of the glory of God. All are destined for separation from God. Oh, wait, I didn't read that. Uh, Romans 3.23. Yes, uh, Jesus did not come just for Jews. Here's a good point here. But for all, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul talks about that in Galatians and elsewhere. Okay, He especially describes it in Romans. He even talks directly to the Jew, you know, as if he's speaking only to a Jew, but he's not. He's speaking to everybody. He's, he's giving them, you know, oh, you Jew. And he starts telling them their state before God, right? He is saying that all people are included in this. It's not a Jewish thing. And that's why I say that it's, it's so sad that uh, we got people that have in their families these people that are so confused. I have to go to these messianic churches. I have to start observing the law. I have to become like a Jew in order to be saved. That's the farthest thing from God's mind. He doesn't care about what's cut on your body. He doesn't care what goes into your stomach at five o'clock when you have dinner. He does not care about those things. He cares about what your heart is in relation to what he has done in Christ. That's what God cares about, okay? Um, you know, somebody asked a question, just came to mind, and I'll stop right there just for a second because it's a good question. That, uh, you know the answer, so don't answer this. When it says in the book of Genesis that um, uh, he was to take uh, two of every animal, male and female, put them on the ark, and then he says, and bring seven clean animals. And this lady emailed me yesterday, and she said, well, how can they be clean if it was before the law? And the law says which animals are clean. Anybody? Yeah, but no one knew. He didn't tell them what the animals were. Must be something we're missing. What's the main characteristic of all of the animals that are clean? What is the characteristic of animals that are not clean? No, no, no. That That's typology there. The Lord said that. Because some of those actually... Are cloven. They were meant for sacrifices, the clean ones. Why are they clean? Why were they? <laughs> what is it that the clean animals don't do no 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 that's that, that because there are animals that don't chew the cud or do chew the cud that are in the same category that doesn't list in leviticus he's making a point about typology there the answer is that they do not eat dead things all the other animals eat things that are dead they're feeding off of death it makes them unclean before god you see that yeah so if anybody ever asks you that and tries to trip you up and say, see, you need to observe the law of Moses, the law of Moses doesn't even follow that. 
The law of Moses says this one is clean and this one isn't clean. And rabbits don't eat dead things, do they? That's but one, they're unclean. That's one of the seven no-hard laws. Well, that's completely separate, and that's just uh, that's nonsense. I'll tell you about that later. Don't don't follow that stuff, please. Don't follow that because oh, no, yeah. Oh, okay, good. I, yeah, and people love to use that as an example of the world being taken over and all that. That's don't even worry about that. The Somebody dog, brings up the Noahide laws, just say thank you and ignore them, and I'll tell you why later. The uh, came back. He, he wouldn't eat the carrots. That's right. There's all this dead stuff out there. He's not eating it. Right. So just remember that when somebody tries to trip you up and because there are always people trying to tell you, you need to observe the law and here's a reason why. It has nothing to do with it. Because even in the law, like I said, bunny rabbits are not to be eaten. But the reason why is because the type of foot or the type of uh, whether they chew the cut or not. The Lord defined those for typology. And if you never saw those Leviticus 11 sermons, watch them and you'll understand exactly why every single animal that he picks points to the work of Christ. All of them. All of them. And it's all defined right in the New Testament. Once you see that, you say, oh my goodness, I get it. It's beautifully laid out. But uh, it's a a good point that fits in with what we're talking about, even though it doesn't actually fit in with what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that if you're trapped by that, because Paul's speaking about these things, you're a sinner. Well, you're not going to go to heaven because you're still sinning because you're eating pork. That, God doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about that one iota. Okay. That's not what's on his mind. All right, so um, where am I? He, uh, all are destined for separation from God, but Christ is the means of rectifying that state. He destroyed the works of the devil. He came to save sinners. He came to give us life and have it more. And lots of other times, he says, I came to do this and I came to do that. And there are lots and lots of them. They're all centered first and foremost after destroying the works of the devil. Okay, so um, the purpose of Christ's coming was not was not, and please make sure people understand that, it was not to take you to heaven because you'll always hear that when people are evangelizing, okay? God wants to take you to heaven. That is a result of what God wants. God wants to save you from sin, okay? Mm -hmm. He wants to reconcile you to himself, okay? God did not send Jesus into the world to take you to heaven, all right? But to save us from hell, That's the immediate problem. The other one is a benefit of it, okay? Heaven is, yeah, here it is. Heaven is merely a benefit of our salvation. Okay, but Paul's thought does not end with this. As a note of the immensity of what Christ has done, he adds on, when referring to the word sinners, he says, of whom I am chief, or in your case, worst. Not your case, your Bible's case, yeah. I was hoping you didn't mean that. Yeah, 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 okay. Your Bible's case, okay, worst. Albert Barnes notes that this means, this is Albert Barnes' quote, that he occupied the first rank among sinners. You think of the Hebrew word rosh, it means head, but it's used in a million different contexts. He's the chief of the tribe. He's the first one to go into battle, whatever, rosh. It has the same connotation as us. He is our head. He's ahead of us, right? Okay, just think of the English, and it's very similar. Well, that's what Paul is thinking of. I am the Rosh. I'm the chief. I'm the head of sinners, okay? He occupied the first rank among sinners. There were none who surpassed him. This does not mean that he had been the greatest of sinners in all respects, but in some respects, he had been so great a sinner that on the whole, there were none who had surpassed him. That's Albert Barnes, okay? And he's correct on that. 
In Ephesians 3, 8, Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. His conduct in persecuting Christians and thus Christ himself, because Christ said when he appeared to Paul, 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 why are you persecuting my people, right? No, he said, why are you persecuting me? That's right. An attack against God's body is an attack against Christ. All right. Uh, Christ himself led him to realize that he was indeed the first of all sinners. I've had people uh, say that, that, you know, Paul wasn't claiming that, and they give another explanation for it. Don't want to bring up his name especially because he's a very uh, good teacher, and everybody here probably listens to him, but he got that wrong. Okay, anyway, I'll tell you after the video is off, but somebody that most of us listen to from day to day, he's still on even though he's dead, he blew that one. But Paul was claiming, I am the first of all sinners, the chief, the head, okay? And that's, as I said, it's supported by Ephesians 3, 8. He calls himself the least of all the saints. If he's the least, and then he was the first, okay? Obviously. Um, uh, the reason for this is that he was schooled in the law. He was an Israelite, and he was a Pharisee as well. In his studies, he should, he should, like this guy that we were talking about earlier, should have recognized Christ for who he is. I mean, that's the purpose of the Old Testament is to lead us to Christ. It's right there and uh, for who he is. And yet it took a supernatural appearance of the Lord to open his spiritually blind eyes. Surely no one could be more sinful than the man who used God's own law to pursue God's own son, right? But in understanding Paul's words, each and every Christian should be able to empathize with Paul and to even argue as to whether he or she is truly not the chief among the sinful people of the world. I should not, he is truly not truly, not truly not, but not truly the chief among the sinful people of the world. And I say that to myself all the time. I'll be out blowing off the parking lot in the morning and I'll say, God, Paul may have been the head, but I superseded him. I really believe that in my heart. Whatever he did and however he was, I'm a lot more wicked than he is. I know that. I know that. And I wonder if anybody else feels that way because I feel it every single day of my life. How could you save a guy like me? I just, yeah, the things I think, the things I do, I, I just don't understand the grace of God in Christ. Our sin, no matter how large or how small, necessitated the crucifixion of Christ. That's it. Adam fell, death spread to all men. David said, I was conceived in sin, uh, in iniquity. My, I was conceived in iniquity and sin my mother bore me. Okay, Psalm 51, 6. All right, he acknowledges that. Paul says it again in Romans, death spread to all men. It's in us. It is the infection that separates us from God from the moment that we are conceived. Done deal. Okay, that's how it is. But God was willing to rectify that situation. All are guilty of the act, and all must acknowledge this in their hearts. Lord, I am the chief of sinners. If we fail to understand this, we're not going to lose our salvation, that's for sure. But we look at other sinners, we may find them less deserving of God's mercy than we were. May this never be. Uh, the guy for to paint the place was here today, and uh, when he came by, we were talking, and I've known him for a while, and uh, he, uh, probably 15 years but anyway, he uh, was, wasn't, we weren't talking so much about Christianity, just in general, the COVID thing. And he said, you know, when that happened, uh, he said, uh, we had 30 employees and these people live from paycheck to paycheck. 
That's all that they have is to live for the next paycheck. This is their life. Okay, they miss paycheck. They are not going to be able to pay this bill. All right. And they, he went on to say that he knows, and it's true, that most people are within two paychecks of being homeless. And he wasn't trying to make a point about Christianity. He was simply saying, when I see somebody on the side of the road, I think that could be me in two paychecks. In two paychecks, that could be me. And you know what? When the economy collapses, because it can't last forever, there's going to be a lot more people on the side of the street that are saying right now, look at that guy over there, right? Mm. And in two paychecks, he's going to be that guy, right? When mom was at the, re she still goes there, but the resurrection house, one time somebody showed up and he was an ex-airplane pilot, commercial airplane pilot, and there he is begging food. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in our life. We have no idea. No, These guys are normally pretty, not always, but they're normally pretty normal people, flying people around the world. And there he is begging food at the resurrection house. We should not be looking down on people because of who they are, because that could be us today, and that's who we were in Christ, or outside of Christ. Okay, um, life application will be done because it's time to go. Uh, love, love sent Christ Jesus into the world. Our sin nailed him to the cross. His perfection brought him forth from the grave. We are the recipients of that which is holy, undeserved. Let us remember this and then let us share this marvelous truth with all. May we never hold back the gospel because we feel someone else is undeserving. Christ didn't hold it back from us and we were certainly undeserving. That's why I say that guy that uh, uh, I've been talking about today, the least I can do is pray for him. Okay, And I can tell people that send me emails about him, at least you can pray for him. Because I'm not going to debate the guy. I'm not, it's just not worth the time. It's not worth the effort. I know that. But I know that prayer can be heard and that God will respond according to his wisdom. So that's where we're at. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ and how difficult it is for us to process why you would save us at times. When we get angry at somebody, when we offend somebody, that we should not have done and we realize the mistake we made lord whatever it is we realize that we are so fallen that we just can only cling to you but we know at the same time that we're clinging on with our our fingernails that you have your arms wrapped firmly around us we will not be lost from you because you sent christ into the world lord we pray for that guy i don't even i'm not sure of his name i think it's singer I, we pray for him. We lift him up to you. And if you can do a marvelous work in his life, we will be thankful. We know you can, but if you will do it. And if you don't, you've withhold that, withheld that because he's got his own knowledge and he's got his own uh, presuppositions. That's fine. But we would pray that you would be willing to change his heart, to bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And then he could be the next Paul going into uh, the years ahead where Israel needs a light. All right, whatever happens, Lord, we leave it in your capable hands. And we thank you for your help of the people that always email us with needs. We pray that those needs will be met once again today. And uh, Lord, whatever you have for us, we know that it's the perfect plan. Whether it's getting in our car and dying today or whether it's being here for another 50 years, your plan for our lives is perfect. Help us to use it accordingly. Thank you for your grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, let me back up the camera, and I, I still think there's not sound, so we'll say goodbye right now, and then we'll wave to you. Oh, let's see here. There we go. Right here.